Hi everyone and welcome back to Discerning Consciousness. I'm your host Ant and in today's video I'm joined by the writer Michael Ronin. Hello Michael, uh, thank you very much for joining us today. Hi Ant, yeah it's, I'm very happy to be speaking to you and look, really looking forward to the podcast and hello to all the listeners listening in. Thank you, yeah thank you so much for joining us today. So I believe you've very recently um, had a new publication uh, released uh, obviously, which we're going to talk about today. So, yeah, I wonder if you could just talk on the title a little bit. Uh, what motivated you to write it? Um, because it's it's uh, it certainly is a, a very extensive um, book that goes into many many different um, subject areas. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, Thank you. I guess I should just start out by letting people know a little bit about me. Sure. Um, so uh, I'm, this is, I'm actually a first time writer and my life has led me down many avenues. I've been uh, an actor, professional actor. I've been a teacher. I've been an account manager for a website development company. I've been a baker, a farmer. Wow. Uh, I've worked in publishing. <laughs> I've worked in banks and I've worked for the government and a whole lot more. Mm. Um, so, uh, I've worked in high-paying jobs, which were soul-destroying, and yeah. low-paying low jobs, which were actually quite challenging and creative. Sure. Um, so, but I guess behind all of the stuff I've done um, for earning an income, behind all of that has been really my thirst for knowledge. And uh, so I call, what I, I call myself, and what... what uh, I'm what's called a philomath and that's basically it, the, the, the definition of that is a lover of learning mm. and studying and I really love to uncover and discover things which are generally not part of the collective awareness so mm. I've been interested I've never been interested in becoming like a subject matter expert and ending up in academia to write scholarly papers um, I prefer instead really to develop like a broad understanding of a variety of subject areas. Mm. Um, so I, I'm interested in the intersection between culture, society, politics, spirituality, psychology, philosophy, all of those things. Um, and so I, I, I do that by trying to keep my feet firmly on the ground and um, out of ivory towers and, and basically just living with real people mm. who are grappling with how to get by from day to day and working to improve their lives and their families and their communities and so on. And in the simplest term, I suppose the, the, the term Renaissance man, I guess I should define that. It's, it's something, it's someone who has a particular competence in or an understanding of multiple different subject areas, all of which complement one another. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully make him and i hope that's who i am a, a more well-rounded and productive person so mm. there are, you know when you look around you there there are many accomplished people who devote the their, themselves and their lives to i don't know producing the best gizmo or earning as much money as possible or trying to get power or starting a family all of those things um so but while I could do those things, they, they don't, don't actually reflect who I am at my core. Mm. Um, and, but I do, I do like to accomplish anything which I set my mind to and commit my energy to. 
like this book. So mm. I consider myself, um, I guess my superpower, I consider myself <laughs> a natural born information scout, if you like. I love ferreting out what's really happening in the world and then using my gifts as a cultural decoder um, and writer to help people connect the dots and understand complicated issues without without having to work everything out for themselves from scratch mm. um, so i've spent uh, the last two years actually writing this book to synthesize my research and my thoughts into about seven or eight hours of solid reading it's quite a long book mm. yeah um, and i can testify to that <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm, my, my, my task now is to synthesize those seven or eight hours into the length of a podcast or one or two podcasts, Sure. which I think is going to be quite difficult because I'm really a writer and I'm not a public speaker. Mm. Um, so I'll do my best for your listeners. Mm. Um, Thank you. Thank you for that, Mike. I was just so, thinking... Um, yeah. As you were um, as you were given some of your um, fascinating background and history in life, the word that came to me, uh, as I'm sure it did to a lot of the audience, was Renaissance man. Um, and then obviously that's what you mentioned right. as the, the perfect description for, <laughs> for that. So um, yes, uh, I wonder if you could just um, so what is the actual title of your book first of all before we um, before we head on into some of the main subject areas. That's probably a good idea. I probably shouldn't keep that secret. No, um, no. It's called uh, modern masculinity. <laughs> it's called modern masculinity for the conscious man. Yeah. Um, and the title is making sense in troubled times. Mm. Uh, so it's not just about. Uh, it's not just about modern masculinity. It's not just about conscious men, but it's also about making sense in troubled times, which is um, the world that surrounds the conscious man. Mm. So. Um, the reason I wrote this book is principally that men, many men are experiencing, um, I guess you could call it a crisis of masculinity um, as a whole in society. Uh, men are now, for the first time in history, considered contemptible uh, by society. And they are subject to claims of their masculinity being toxic or of having male privilege or patriarchal power mm. uh, being violent abusers um, or even potential rapists um, that seems to be the default position now um, many fathers are um, subject to what's called divorce rape which is kind of the slang term for when um, their ex-wives take them to court and and they get uh, divorce raped by their ex-wives and their pitbull lawyers and stripped of all their assets. Mm. Uh, they regularly encounter their sons and daughters uh, being removed from their lives. Most custody is awarded to the woman. Um, and so what's happening is that actually almost a quarter of all children in single parent households are being, uh, 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 they're growing up with single mothers. So boys are especially susceptible to the absence of a father in their lives and um, in fact uh, Warren Farrell who just wrote a book called The Boy Crisis points out that um, sons 
are many more times more likely to face problems of addiction and sexual problems, uh, antisocial issues than children who grew up in intact families, for instance. So, um, oh, there's other stuff like the presence of men in colleges is declining, universities and colleges. Mm -hmm. And certainly in the USA where I live, um, the colleges over here have um, a tribunal to adjudicate matters of rape, potential rape. Um, and uh, the standard of um, proof is much lower than in the criminal court. So many, many young men in colleges are um, being falsely accused and being expelled from those universities and having their lives ruined. Um, levels of testosterone are decreasing. Male okay. suicide is increasing. Um, and finding really, you know, finding good, meaningful, well-paid work in this world at the same time as juggling student debt is becoming harder and harder. Mm. Uh, and of course, you know, the usual stuff like how to, how to get sex, how to find love, how to find companionship mm. from choosing the right woman who doesn't cause him heartache. Mm. Um, all of these things uh, are so important and yet advice is in short supply as to how they can face those challenges. So my hope with this book is to equip them with the, the um, intellectual, the emotional, spiritual tools they need to meet the demands of their journey through life. And in actually what occurs to me is that, you know, this, I'm a first time writer, as I mentioned, and yeah. uh, a lot of the vice, advice to first time writers um, is that people say you should write a book about your personal life and your own experiences. And they mostly give that advice to people who are considering writing novels. Uh, and this is a nonfiction book. And, but since, since it's not a novel, I, I wanted, actually wanted to take that idea and modify it. I wanted to write about the way the world works and the way a conscious man interacts with that world and with himself. And having done all my, having really looked at this problem in depth, the, the upshot is that it's not a pretty picture. Mm. Something, something seems to have reached a tipping point in our collective consciousness. And I mean, just look around you, people are becoming polarized and hysterical, uh, if not basket cases. Mm. And, mm. You know, you turn on the TV, you watch the news reports, and the only conclusion is that the world has gone tragically insane. Mm. Uh, the world makes people miserable. Mm. And, um, you know, as a man, conscious or unconscious, uh, he has nowhere to learn how to be a man and how to engage with the world. And many men are struggling to understand their lives and their purpose and their dent in the universe. Mm. Um, and are looking for answers. So mm. my goal essentially is to show them what show them what's out there and help unite men and women so that they can relate with each to each other in functionally healthy ways. Mm. A lot of the book is about telling the truth um, about how they behave in dysfunctional ways and. You know, these truths can sometimes be hard to hear. Uh, plus, 
I, I also want to unite ordinary people who are not part of the matrix uh, to take back their lives and take back the world from the ruling elite, the ruling class, or the powers that be, or however you want to call it. And, you know, we can talk about that later, but specifically, um, I guess the sort of guys that will be reading this book are millennials, sort of 25 to 35, who consider themselves um, politically uh, libertarian, let's say. Mm. Uh, and they're, they're basically the kind of men who want to live the truth and seek the truth on their own terms by their own efforts and who have this um, yearning for freedom to expand into the fullness of their beings, but they feel constrained by society mm. and dominant political structures. So, mm. you know, there, there are left libertarians and there are right libertarians, and there's something in this book which both of those groups is going to hate. <laughs> um, the left libertarians are not going to much like the beginning of the book, and the right libertarians won't much like the end of it. But, you know, I'm hoping that um, they'll, they'll hear me out because I consider myself a free thinker, even though my roots are uh, on the political left. I, I no longer identify, identify myself in that way. I'm actually a free thinker. I take good information where I hear it, whether it comes from the left or the right or the up or the down. It doesn't make any difference. Mm. Good ideas are good ideas. Um, so that allows me to occupy any political, philosophical, or ideological space without... Um, people being able to label me because I can't be labeled. Um, so, as, and as soon as you're labeled and put in a box, people think they know exactly who they dismiss you and what you have to say. They either do that from the get-go or they want you to cheerlead for their team if they think that you're on their side. Now, my aim is not to take sides or win any popularity contest, but to speak my truth and mm. be helpful. Mm. I want to be helpful to those other men who seek their truth and it doesn't have to comport with mine that's not the point it's it's actually pretty irrelevant what's more important is um to offer some potential insights and observations which um you know having lived quite a long time on this planet hopefully is going to have some merit for a, a roadmap to a better life for other men uh, and ultimately my goal is to promote active thought mm. uh, rather than get people to agree with me so and and have them make up their own minds about mm. you know, themselves as they stand mm. so thank you for that uh michael i wonder if we could perhaps um move the discussion um into the the area of looking what it what it actually means to be a conscious man and something i picked up in the book uh, which you speak about as a constant theme is this idea of uh, mankind's uh, true nature, what it means to be a human being on this planet. Um, so I wonder if you could just um, touch upon that before uh, maybe moving into a deeper exploration of what it means to be a conscious man. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, true nature. True nature is actually... Um, fundamental to being a conscious man and it's not a term that perhaps everybody has come across so I'll, I'll try and describe what I mean by that um, so true nature 
is actually our original instructions. Um, the instructions which direct us from within to give our greatest gift to the world. Um, the question really is not, you know, you can ask yourself the question, well, um, what should I do with my life? But if you flip that round, and if you consider true nature, the, the, the question really is, what is nature trying to do with me? What is my true nature? How is that? What is nature? How does nature want that to emerge from my organism? Um, so there exists within every man and woman, uh, but my book is about men, there, would, uh, there, there is an intrinsic aspect. You know, just like um, if you take an acorn, the, the, the image of the oak tree is inherent in the acorn. Uh, and it's the same for human beings as well. We start out on life on the path to realizing what's encoded in our beingness. And that is our true nature. Um, from the time, however, from the time we're born, we're actually, our society, our parents, uh, we're trained to ignore and repress the, that true nature and the deep truths until for many, many people, we find them harder and harder to see at all. And so the, the, the path of the conscious man is to make our way back to our true nature. And that journey has to be a conscious one that reveals, it reveals ourselves to ourselves. It reveals everything that we have become that we're not. Mm. And so, you know, it's kind of useful to imagine what our true natures might be were we free of societal conditionings free of um, all of the programming that is not essential to our well-being that we've come to believe mm. um, and so what you have inside you what so the question is what is it that you have inside you that is burning to get out what is it that's trying to be born by you and you need to feel inside as it is to what you really want it's your soul talking to you if you like mm. and and that you can choose to honor honoring honoring yourself by knowing what you really want so that you can come alive um the meaning of life in that sense is to fulfill our own potential mm. it's as simple as that really we have to discover what our potential is uh, and extract and abstract all the things that we are not. Um, so in a sense, nature is moving through us and life is seeking to fulfill the pattern of our true nature. Mm. Can I just check, thank you for that, Michael. In terms of fulfilling our true nature, um, you've explained that you're a very independent person, so you haven't followed any specific religion or spiritual teaching or been immersed in esoteric schools or spiritual schools so to speak do you believe that we can follow this process whereby we we discover our true nature where we can almost do it independently we might dip into bodies of knowledge but we don't have to immerse ourselves say in a religion or in a, a, a spiritual school what's your thought on that yeah i think both of those things are very important. Uh, the focus and the premise of the book is largely on um, 
Well, and to, so there's waking up and there's growing up. And yeah. um, growing up is what I focus on in the book largely, even though I think the focus on the spiritual life on waking up is exceptionally important. There are much better people who can write about that than I can. Mm. Uh, I've actually come fairly late in the game to the spiritual life. Uh, I've been an atheist most of my life and, and only as part of my curiosity, I, I challenge myself to explore faith mm. because it's not something I had done. And I was like, well, why, why do people find so much value in faith? And so um, for the last uh, four or five years, I've been exploring that. And out of that, uh, I, I've actually experienced a Kundalini awakening, which has been wow. quite interesting. It's not something I write about in the book at all, but I, I'm very, very interested in this spiritual path. But mm. my skill really is is in the the path of um, uh, um, I largely focus on growing up, which which means developing one's character and the way you understand and meet the world. Mm. Sure. Um, can I just check um, in terms of this idea, um, like we were talking about before, um, the idea of uh, there being a crisis uh, for men, which you were talking about, or a crisis uh, in terms of um, masculinity. How mm. how does how does this relate to our uh, discovering our, our true nature? Um, do you feel that the current sort of cultural uh, attack on masculinity, if you like? Um, do you think that that is about quelling men's quest to find their true nature? Do you think um, is is there some sort of deliberate, almost sort of some sort of conspiratorial element to constrain the masculine? Um, what what do you think is the sort of dynamic that's playing out there? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's actually a, that it's a really good question, but the answer is very nuanced. I don't think mm. it's actually um, black and white. Sure. And there are a number of different avenues we can explore in that respect. Hmm. There certainly is a, a war on consciousness. Yeah. I think it's directed. It's directed at both men and women, and um, ultimately, that war on consciousness is to divide and conquer. Hmm. It's to separate uh, and pacify the population. Which, and um, the, I think it's intentional. Um, you see, there, there are countervailing forces which want to control you, and they don't want you to become more conscious, to see things with more clarity, to see reality as it really is, and then potentially to do something not in the best interests of those who wish to control your consciousness. You see, the, the natural order of human beings is to evolve their consciousness to become more and more conscious, more wise, mm. more intelligent, more aware, more, more knowing, more loving, and so on. And, in, and when people start to do that, they have to meet the control system, which fights back sometimes subtly, sometimes forcefully. Um, you know, uh, there, there are so many mechanisms by which we are uh, they try to control us. They, they try to do so through the mass media, for instance. Mm. Uh, that's actually they've been their greatest, greatest success is it has been in molding each individual's perceptual frame of reference. 
through the mass media and other mechanisms. And they do what, what they do is they transfer their narratives to the human mind via um, the legacy media. And that gives us a cultural paradigm, which is to use Carl Jung's term, um, mass man, that it's accepted by mass man. Mm. In, in, in counterpoint to conscious man. So mass man is, is essentially the kind of man who's handed over his mind, who um, experiences life unconsciously. And, and unfortunately, that, that it seems that we're largely predisposed to that way of being, to certain scripts, uh, which favor a state of unconscious thought and behavior. Um, you know, because being, un being unconscious is to lack free will, which is to be operating from a place of automation. Mm. And uh, from essentially, since we're born from day one, we're programmed by our society and our culture. And those people who are unconscious, um, they, they, are, they are the individuals who have not questioned their programming to any great extent, and whose lives are strongly colored by the narratives they've internalized by the consumer culture, by their streaming services, by you know alcohol, uh, anything to get by in life, but without actually engaging in life. Mm. And um, there are also people who uh, place their identities on the the collective idea of labels and limits and what it means to be a certain person. Uh, which is why I try to steer away from that because it's very evil, very easy to label yourself. Oh, I am a Republican or a Democrat or a Tory or Labour or whatever, mm. and that helps you stop thinking. <laughs> so um, they then become afraid to step into their own authentic nature. That that their nature has been determined for them by others, and it helps them to stop thinking. It it actually helps them to um, short circuit their own minds when they can breathe a sigh of relief and go, ah, thank God, now I understand the world. Now I can just get along and do what my group is doing. And um, this is why I, I mentioned at the beginning how polarized our society has become. You know, we live in a time when people generally no longer have subtle conversations or arguments with each other. Mm. And they engage in opposing monologues rather than talking with each other. Uh, mm. uh, you know, they call it talking, but it's not. They're actually essentially giving a monologue and then the person opposite them gives them a monologue back to them and they're not, they're not having a conversation. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I've, I've heard it described, someone described it um, as um, a kind of dynamic of tower defense. So you get two towers <laughs> which I guess is two egos really just defending. And that's the basis of politics, left, right, red, sorry, blue, red, get it right. And, right. and that's basically why politics doesn't work uh, as you explain about in your book. Um, Michael, I wonder if we can just touch upon you. Obviously you're speaking about um, the notion of the importance of deprogramming one's consciousness or upgrading mm -hmm. maybe. Um, that's sort of like a process that I've uh, taken many years and went down many kind of conspiracy quite dark conspiracy rabbit holes and then I took on board the kind of spiritual dimension to that do you think this whole deprogramming process do you think that can be done on the level of just what you were describing 
what a lot of your book about is about sorry is this idea of growing up to become a conscious yeah. man to, in terms of deprogramming from all of the downloads from the mainstream media from the education system from our own um from our parents in terms of how we're brought up is that something that you you think we have to go quite deep so it lands up being sort of like a a Jungian kind of Joseph Campbell kind of spiritual archetypal quest or is it something we can just do very much on an intellectual level what what's your take on that the sort of deprogramming aspect yeah it's it's complicated yeah it, well actually, yeah. I, I should say it's, it's not complicated it's nuanced um, yeah so um you so it's possible I mean we need to do our personal work and uh, examine what we carry within us. Uh, but it's also um, necessary to recognize that we operate within parameters designed to limit our awareness. Yeah. And so our evolution as conscious men has therefore been stunted and continues to be stunted, no matter how much inner work we do. We, we, we find ourselves within a, a system which limits our awareness. And so we actually have to divide it into two pieces. Um, we, we need a special investigation which uh, actually tries to figure out what is the concept of healthy, happy human beings for a whole society and how we can achieve that. Yeah. And at the same time, we also need to look at society and ask ourselves under what sort of material conditions can we as a people, uh, a global populace, achieve personal and societal fulfillment. And what we have right now is a, um, is a liberal dynamic, liberal with a, a, a small L. Um, we, we, in this day and age, fulfillment is largely restricted to each individual doing their best in a separate space from others, working on themselves, um, but basically taking care of number one. Mm. And for a world in which we take each other's best interests as our own, we need to understand and see individuals as ultimately realizing their potential, their personal potential, only in terms of and through the freely realized potential of other human beings. Mm. Um, that, that's the difference between um, a unity consciousness perspective and a liberal perspective. In a liberal perspective, you know, it, it's in the American constitution, for instance, mm. um, is the pursuit of happiness. And that's considered an individual pursuit. We're free to individually pursue happiness. Um, I would argue that that's fairly limited in its concept and that we need to pursue happiness only in terms of other people pursuing their happiness and for them not stepping on our toes and, and us not stepping on their toes mm. and how we organize such a world is something you know we can obviously talk about mm. uh, I, I go into it a little bit in the book in the final chapter uh, mostly the book is concerned with uh, which gets back to your original question is can we do this by ourselves mm. um, mostly the book is concerned about how a conscious man can go about getting in touch with his true nature but it but um 
ultimately, uh, you, you can never reach that particular point unless society uh, has been restructured so as to empower you to do so. Yeah. And I use an analogy of uh, the double helix. So think of a double helix. You have those two strands which are wrapped around each other. Yeah. Um, and to, to, to extend the analogy, um, personal empowerment, personal growth, self-actualization, becoming more conscious, getting in touch with our own humanity is one of those strands. Mm. And so if you start at the bottom of that of one strand and go towards the top, you can see that human beings can become ever more in touch with themselves. But there is another strand there, and that is the society in which they find themselves in. And, and as men and women become more conscious, become more focused on what it is to be in their own true nature, they would then need to address the society around them and evolve that society. And because society shapes us, uh, by improving society, uh, that will then feed back into who we are as we are seeking to evolve ourselves. As we seek to evolve society, society then seeks to evolve us. It's a virtuous circle. Yeah. And you can see these two strands of the double helix are mutually beneficial in that the energy starts at the bottom, goes towards the top, and they have to match each other. Yeah. Um, so, it, like I said, it, it's a little bit, Perhaps I'm not explaining it too well, but uh, no, no, it's fine. What it puts me in mind of is, is almost um, what you're describing is as society evolves, uh, um, it's it's where we shift our emphasis upon service to others rather than service to self. And what you're describing uh, with the double helix model is almost like a positive feedback loop. Um, so. Yeah, the, uh, what I'm thinking of is that it's it's again it's there's nuance there. It's neither service to self nor is it service to others. It's actually both. Mm. It's it's intermeshed. A, it's a, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm. So um, clearly, if it's just about service to others, then our own personal lived experience becomes um, almost irrelevant. Or secondary, uh, at least, yeah. Or secondary, and I don't consider myself irrelevant. Neither should you. Um, as it is right now, we have a very, very atomized society, where um, it's it's all about the individual. The individual mm. is king, uh, and I think both of those things are out of alignment with our true nature, and that we need both to honor and revere who who we are as an individual and seek the fullest expression of who we are as individuals. And at the same time, recognize that we live in a world of other human beings. We're deeply enmeshed with other human beings. We're a hyper-social species. And what does that mean? How do we live together well as a species? Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've done a, an incredibly bad job of it up until now. Mm -hmm. And part of, part of the, the mission that we have is to create a better world. Mm. Um, the, there is an, life as itself, I consider, is fairly artificial. Mm. Compliance system uh, that goes against um, and 
in, in, in the world as it's been created a, a man it does he is judged solely by what he does by his utility mm. what he does for society what he does for women for family for country you know little empathy or consideration is given to him for simply being a virtuous man mm. you know that that doesn't pay the bills no. it doesn't compete with getting shit done mm. um, so conscious men i would say need to work towards creating the the fundamental conditions where society places more value on the intangibles like mm. wisdom authenticity mm. integrity compassion courage all of those things than it does on you know the ego needs of like resource acquisition of power and money um status so you know let's try and imagine a world where um let's say we selected our leader our leaders by those criteria of wisdom authenticity integrity compassion courage if indeed we needed leaders in the traditional sense in, in this better world mm. you know it's 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 the way the world is organized right now is that we incentivize people through the market system by rewarding them with money or currency if you like for goods and services that they produce but you know i wonder by what mechanisms a new society could instead incentivize the production of a fully realized people and mm. optimized humanity mm. what sort of mechanisms will be in place to to enable that so that we rewarded the um intangibles th those particular traits that we consider valuable uh how, how would we reward people for bringing those traits into their organism rather than simply paying them money for the stuff they produce. Mm. Mm. Um, you mentioned some of these intangible qualities. Um, I think some of those are encompassed by when one thinks of the divine feminine. So um, things like collaboration, cooperation, uh, understanding, loving, nurturing. It almost sounds as if as we move towards a more conscious society, those are the kinds of elements of beingness, if you like, that we need to focus on upon more. Would you would you agree with that type of analysis? Um, again, it's nuanced. I think yeah. we need both masculine energy and feminine energy. Yeah. We simply don't have enough masculine energy in this world. Uh, men mm. have been demasculinized by the society they find themselves in, and I, I you know, I, I go about it. I. I, I talk about this extensively in the book. Yeah, um, yeah. So part of, for instance, uh, I, you see, I have a problem with um, the law of attraction and manifesting um, and that side of spirituality, because it, it basically, um, it's, it, 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 it asks for feminine energy. It basically says, um, I want to, uh, flow. I want to be in flow. I want to submit to the universe. I want to be passive to the universe and allow the universe to yeah. flow through me. You know, this is a very feminine way of being. Mm. Um, and the problem there is that um, when people, if you think about going with the flow, going with the flow can be the avoidance of being accountable to oneself, to one's unfolding as a discrete organism. Mm. 
in the in the masculine context to be purposeful directed skillful confident in one's ability in directing the course of one's life of penetrating the world with sacred intent uh, and shaping it for the collective higher good all of these positive masculine attributes are rejected in favor of the feminine to surrender to whatever life presents you to be passive and yielding it's actually it's i think it's a problem it's just it's a more evolved way of coping with you know with um a life we might call shit and when i say shit shit is actually um stands for spiritual high intensity training um, um yeah because <laughs> what it sounds like you're describing michael is um with this sort of emphasis on the, the divine feminine the flow of energy the fluid fluidity the yielding um there also needs to be an emphasis upon societal structures uh, like class barriers that can hold people back like the uh, financial economic system that impoverishes so many people um so perhaps what you're saying is there needs to be that counterbalance as well as to take account of those forces would you would you say that because they can be lost if we just focus too much on the kind of yielding perspective uh, if that makes sense yeah absolutely um you know in terms of like i say we are actually there is a predicament that we face as human beings both men and women are out of alignment with their true nature mm. uh, obviously my book is concerned about men's perspective um I, hopefully a woman would write a similar book about female perspective but yeah um there is a problem with uh modern women who have become stunted in their maturation and modern men mm. uh, modern women are simply the recipients of a legacy of maladaptive behaviors of both men and women through the generations in response to um, inhumane socio-political conditions mm. and um, you know society systematically programs women to move away from their mm. true nature which is and um, what we're left with is, is a feminine essence inside every woman that's been buried alive. Mm. And, you know, feminism has done a disservice to women because uh, feminism's aim was to, initially it was to take women back to an empowered state of being. And in that sense, it's wholly failed. Um, the movement initially challenged women to compete in all aspects of life that were male dominated. You know, the, the, the equality, but this is the thing, the equality they demanded was equality of masculinity, not equality of femininity with masculinity. Mm. And the result has been that women have developed strongly integrated male approaches to life and they function more from male psychology. Mm. Uh, what Jordan Peterson refers to as an animus, animus possessed persona, which which goes back to Carl Jung. Mm. And, um, you know, when, when women in particular feel pressured to take on non-traditional gender roles, um, problems occur. There, there are more and more societal pressures for them to 
um, you know, take the lead in becoming active in politics and business and to be at the forefront of social change and all of that. And yet studies have shown that since the 1950s, women are actually becoming more and more unhappy despite doing the things that they've been clamoring to do that for, for so long their happiness is actually declining. You know, women's liberation was actually supposed to help women lead more happy and fulfilling lives. And it's actually achieving quite the opposite for those women mm. who, you know, they're, they're out there pushing and achieving and using their masculine energy. And it's just simply, it's out of integrity for mm. their dominant feminine essence. So we're coming up to the end of our allocated time on this particular recording, uh, Michael. Um, so still a lot that we need to talk about because we're sort of alluding to the arena of relationships and how conscious men um, can can be in healthy relationships uh, with women. And so perhaps that's something um, that you'd like to talk about in, in our next uh, next recording, uh, amongst other happy things. To. Yeah, uh, I'd be very happy to. We haven't really gone into haven't really gone gone into that area at all as of as of yet, and of course that is a very important part of being being um, a conscious man um, in this world is build, building um, healthy healthy relationships. Yeah. So in the book, I, I talk about the obstacles that men are facing in terms of um, where women are in their lives, but, and also how to um, relate themselves to the sort of high level relationship that they would want to have with a woman. And um, I use the device of, of archetypes quite a lot in the book. Um, so I have a chapter on divine feminine, the divine masculine, and also the divine union, which uh, in broad principles outlines what it takes to be in a high level relationship, a high, highly evolved relationship with a woman. Great, that would be great to learn, to learn more about that, because I feel um, from my own experiences in life in relationships it can feel like you're you're running blind um, with all the kind of cultural society programming and it, it it would be good to learn sort of some tools and techniques and uh, yeah to, to, to have healthy relationships I think that's how we're gonna help uplift um, consciousness and change this planet is to is to reduce the hostility between men and women because in a lot of instances it's 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 been orchestrated by like you mentioned you know the elites in control and it's mm. not a, a natural state for men and women to be in to be at loggerheads so um yeah it'd be interesting to learn more about that for sure for yeah sure. for sure yep. so, yeah yeah so thank you thank you very much for joining us uh michael uh, in today's uh, in today's episode of discerning consciousness, um, we've covered quite a lot of ground as your as your book does. And just on a few closing points, uh, Michael very kindly sent me a digital version of the book, which I have finished very recently. And I have to say, it is uh, an amazing it is a uh, an amazing um, book. It covers so much ground, and I would say it's a uh, essential viewing for any man or woman, I should add, who is on a path of selfhood and who wants to discover truth, wisdom, sincerity, and wants to be, wants to fulfill um, their life purpose uh, in this particular incarnation. And um, yeah, 
I would uh, thoroughly um, recommend um, uh, the listeners and the viewers to to purchase a copy. Um, so just as we finish up, Michael, uh, how can people purchase the book? Yeah, it's just been published on Amazon last week. So if they go to Amazon and yeah. uh, search for Modern Masculinity for the Conscious Man by Michael yeah. Rohn, yeah. uh, they can Great. either uh, choose between the ebook or the print version. Great, fantastic. Oh, obviously, I'll put um, a link to that in the description as well, so people can just click on uh, click on the link and, and get um, and purchase the, the book for themselves. So thank you very much, Michael. Uh, for joining us today. Um, I look forward to us doing it again very soon, as we can say we can uh, cover the ground that we haven't uh, haven't yet covered. Um, have you got any closing thoughts before we finish today's uh, recording, Michael? Well, it's been a real pleasure talking with Anton, and uh, Thank you. I'm really looking forward to our next conversation, which which Thank potentially, you so much. potentially going to uh, uh, dig more deeply into how men and women relate with each other. Yes, um, you know that. Uh, I think I say in the book that there, there cannot be peace between men and women as long as there's war and love. Absolutely. And uh, what we have a lot of it is war and love, and love is what will heal us. Mm. And um, but with that love, we we need certain higher virtues that support that loving energy. And I'm really looking looking forward to talking about what those virtues might be. Right. Thank you so much. So thank you everyone for. Uh, uh, watching us today and uh, we will be on air again very soon thank you very much bye for now <laughs>